Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Well, we have made it to the last episode of Season 2, Life Together in Christ, Cultivating Communities for Spiritual Transformation, Ruth. Uh, I First of all, I've, I've just loved, I've loved actually talking this out uh, with you. Um, and then secondly, I'm just so grateful for you, your leadership, and for what you continue to bring mm. to the world. So thank you. Well, you're welcome, Stephen. Thank you. I feel like we've kind of walked the Emmaus Road together know, in this yeah, podcast. So you know, fun. we've been the two disciples I know, I know. talking about all these things. All these things. So uh, episode nine is you are witnesses of these things. So catch us up in the story on the road to Emmaus. So after Jesus and these two disciples have taken the journey, um, they get off at the exit to Emmaus and they share this meal together. And it is in the context of the meal that they recognize that it's just, it's been Jesus all along. And then the, the minute they recognize him in a little twist of irony, Jesus disappears, which is, um, (laughs) it's interesting. And in case you're wondering what, what that's all about, I do have an idea about that. Um, I think that Jesus is signaling to them that they're going to need to start learning to relate to him in a different way, that they're not always going to have his physical presence with them, and that they're going to have to learn how to recognize his His presence in other ways, because he is now going to be present to them differently. He's now going to be present to them basically through the Holy Spirit. And I think he's signaling to them that their relationship is changing a bit, but that um, it's going to still be intimate nonetheless. So um, there's more to say about that, but I, there there's a reason, I think, why Jesus disappeared at that point. I think he didn't want them to get too accustomed to having his physical presence because that's not that was not going to be the way it was going to be. They were going to receive the Spirit and they would be experiencing Jesus in their lives in a new way now. So um, they're they're on the way to a new journey. So um, as soon as as Jesus becomes apparent to them and he disappears, that's the moment when they say, "Didn't our hearts?" burn within us while he was walking with us on the road. And then immediately they are so jazzed about what they have just experienced. I mean, think about it. They, they realized we were just with Jesus. He's back, you know, all that stuff that happened, it's being redeemed, you know, so they're experiencing redemption and salvation and, um, a new sense of hope in their lives. And they've already done this seven mile walk, but that's, what's interesting about the passage is that they get up as though that were not enough. They're so excited. They've got so much energy that they immediately return to Jerusalem. And so it's, it's, this is an interesting metaphor, I think, for the, the story of the spiritual journey. It's this the journey inward and the journey outward. You know, the Emmaus Road journey was was a very intimate journey. They had to leave the religious center, which was Jerusalem. I think it. I think Jerusalem represents the religious center. That was where they had initially encountered Jesus, and it was the religious center for the Jewish faith. And um, the Emmaus Road was that more intimate personal journey. It represents that intimate journey where we must encounter God for ourselves. Beyond the religious trappings, beyond what everybody else has to say about God and Jesus, the Emmaus Road represents the need that all of us have to encounter Jesus in a really personal way. Um, and then we come back to our life in the company of others. And we come back, though, now with a message. We come back different. They might, the whole situation might be the same, but I'm different because I've been changed by this encounter. Powerful. 
powerful. So uh, they go back to Jerusalem to share their experience uh, with the other disciples. And um, talk about how real spiritual transformation always leads to that kind of action. Because mm-hmm. I think, and we've, we've talked about this a lot, yeah. sometimes people say, it's navel gazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, transformation just is, is is all about just contemplative activity without any mm-hmm. outward action. So, talk about your own belief about the nature of transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many ways to talk about that. Let's let's talk about it biblically first. That in Romans 12:2, Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that there's this cause and effect relationship between the inner journey of spiritual transformation and our ability to discern the will of God, which then becomes our mission. So um, transformation results in the ability to discern what is uniquely ours to do. And then we get out and do what God calls us to do. And that becomes our mission. So that's how transformation and mission are integrally interwoven, I believe. And then when we are engaged in the mission, we come to the limits of our own humanity and our own human wisdom. And so we're cast back again into prayer and into the need for deeper levels of transformation so that we can discern and continue the mission that God has given us to do, but continue it in his strength and continuing it continue it as transforming people. So that's biblically how I see the relationship between formation and mission. Now, Henry Nouwen talked about it as solitude, community, and and ministry or mission. And that's another way to think about it, is that we are in solitude where we cultivate that one-on-one relationship with God. Um, In that place, we discover that we are the beloved. We emerge from that place to share that belovedness share that identity with others who are also discovering themselves to be the the beloved in community. So that's the community of faith. And then from there, we emerge into a sense of ministry or mission. So that's another way to think about it. Um, Or, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the journey inward and the journey outward. And Henry Nouwen would say, and I agree with him, that the journey um, inward must precede the journey outward. Uh, Because if, if we get it mixed up, uh, we we take the journey outward, but we don't really have all that much to say and to offer. Why did these two disciples have so much to, to offer when they came back into Jerusalem to be with the disciples, the other disciples? Well, it was because of the encounter. Yes. Because of the encounter they had with Jesus, they had hearts full. They had a message of good news. They had been transformed in Jesus' presence, and they were the good news at that point. Yes. Their transformation was a witness to what they had experienced in Jesus' presence. So the journey inward precedes the journey outward. Um and then, then, you know, we're catapulted back into the inward journey when the outward journey becomes a bit too much for us. We realize that we need more of God in order to sustain the journey outward. Yeah. So there's this journey inward, like breathing. Mm-hmm. There's a journey outward. We breathe in, we mm-hmm. breathe out. How does the Eucharist help us remember both parts of this journey? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the Eucharist is what reminds us of the fundamental nature of the spiritual life. And... Um, we experience communion with Jesus himself. No matter what theological perspective you take on the Eucharist, it, it is communion. It's oneness. It's union with the person of Jesus Christ. We take him in and we internalize him and he lives his life in and through us. And the Eucharist also strengthens us for our presence in our life in the world. Communion is also interesting because I also believe that it speaks to the communion that we share with each other. Yes. It reminds us that we are one with each other, not just with Jesus, but with each other by having come into relationship with Jesus. And that's that's a really powerful reminder, too. And we need to be reminded of our communion with each other, even and especially when 
things feel splintered and difficult and like none of it works. You know, yes. communion reminds us that it doesn't matter how we feel about the community on any given day. We are one in and through our relationship mm. with Christ. And it's good to be reminded. Amen. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I just heard Martin Sheen be interviewed. By oh, Krista yes. Tippett. I heard that too. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Did you, do you remember when he talked about the power of just even standing in the communion mm -hmm. line? Yes. And sometimes he's just so wrapped up in yeah. awe of yeah. These people, yeah. these people, who are yeah. these people that yeah. are all in line right. just like me? It's a whole new view of Martin Sheen, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That <laughs> I had no idea, really. He's a powerful. Yeah, he's got a, a very deep spirituality. He really yeah. does. When you hear him talking, mm -hmm. it, it, like you, you realize. It's real a, for him. It's really real faith, for him. I have deep faith. Yeah. Uh, plus he talks about the West Wing, mm -hmm. which is, which yes. is really fun. Um, and, and we will include the link to that interview on the mm -hmm. show notes. Oh, good. Right? Good because idea. It's so mm -hmm. it's, it's just so good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, Ruth, you write, uh, our transformation in Christ is also for the sake of others who do not know him. Actually, don't go that far with it. I say it's for the sake of others, period. Okay. Yes. Um, because I don't want to limit it. I don't right. want to limit it just to those who don't know him. Ah, Our transformation is for the sake of everyone around us. You know, you. like people need my transforming self more than they need my deforming self, right? Thank my you. husband, my children, the people in the community of faith, and the people in the world beyond the community of faith. We all need the gospel. We all, yes. And they, and it is for the sake of others because if, if I'm engaged in the process of transformation, I am bringing a better self. I'm bringing a transforming self to every relationship that I'm in. So it's for the sake of others. Um, and it's also for the glory of God. And it's also for the abundance of our own lives. All of it, you know. So it's good for us to be transformed. There's abundance, an abundance of life that comes to a person who is no longer bound up by the false self stuff, no longer limited by those old defensive protective strategies. And we get to live our, our lives free in God. There's an abundance to be able to, to being able to give yourself over to God and to other people in love. That's the abundant life, you know. So yes. transformation is for our own abundance. It is also for the glory of God because a transforming person glorifies God just by being that transforming self. And then, yes, it is for the sake of others. There's always um, goodness that God wants to bring through our lives to others. Because if Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his life for the world, and it is Jesus who's being formed in us, and that's when we talk about transformation, yep. it's Jesus being formed in us, then that heart of Jesus that beats for the world and that beats for those who don't know him will also be formed in us and our hearts will beat for the things that make his heart beat fast, which includes the world that does not know him. Right. Yeah. And now we have the message, though, because we have experienced Jesus in a way that's been life transforming. And now we have a message to bring. And that's what evangelism is. I think evangelism is so much less about the words than it is about the fact that our lives bear witness to what what can happen in the life of a human being when Jesus is invited in, you know. That's so good. I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm glad you clarified mm -hmm. that um, because my question was going to be evangelist. I'm a pastor. Yeah. In the mm -hmm. word evangelism mm -hmm. makes me so tired. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I don't I don't know what to do with yeah. it. it. It automatically brings up, I should be mm -hmm. out there at the Dunkin' Donuts sharing my faith with people, <laughs> whether they want to hear it or not. And oh, I there's Steve Weiss at the Dunkin' Donuts doing his thing again. <laughs> I don't know why it's Dunkin' Donuts. But, um, so thank you, for, thank you for not bifurcating people mm -hmm. who know him, people who don't know him. We all need the gospel yeah. and... Thank you for saying that transformation is for our own abundance mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So, um, and certainly for 
those who don't know right. Christ, certainly. Mm -hmm. But um, now we've climbed out yeah. of this mechanistic, you should. Yeah, t and techniques, yeah. like take the four spiritual laws with you and do the bridge illustration, and you know, and that's evangelism. I think right. that's a very narrow view yeah. of evangelism. Thank you. So Dallas Willard talks about the fact that when the identified people of Christ reach a certain level of growth and don't go on, they limit their evangelistic potential. So what he's saying is that it, it is our transformation that is the witness. Yeah. You know, um, why is this true? Because the witness of the identified people of Christ to the reality of God in their own lives is weak and becomes a testimony to the contrary. When we are not in an active process of transformation and that's not what's going on in our lives, then we actually become a, a witness against the gospel. Yes. Isn't that something? Um, but if we are engaged in an intentional process of transformation in Christ's presence, then our very lives become a witness. And in every moment to everyone, we are a witness to the power of the gospel in our lives and what's possible for other people in their lives. I mean, I even think about being being a Christian person who knows God, but being in the presence of someone who's clearly transforming and how that inspires me oh, yeah. to want to grow and to want to experience that transformation in, in my life. Yeah. Um, and I think if there's anything that, that our world wants right now, it is evidence that transformation is possible because we all get to the place where we realize how stuck we are and that you know our presence in relationships hasn't been helpful and that things yeah. have broken and we've come to the end of knowing how to help ourselves. And so when you're in the presence of a person who is transforming, and you'll notice I never use the word transformed. Right. Uh, transforming somebody who's in the process, on the journey, that there's something about that that is a powerful witness and an inspiration to want to come closer to this one who can actually bring that about in our lives. So in that way, the process of transformation is evangelism. In fact, that's the way I like to speak about evangelism. Is It's an invitation to the process of spiritual transformation which is, first of all, modeled in your life, which is why anybody would want to listen to it. Right, right. Uh, that is refreshing. That feels light. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that feels less heavy. So uh, you mentioned Robert Mulholland in the last episode. I want to bring out mm -hmm. a quote that you write about, one of his quotes in, uh, in your book. And he writes this, uh, There will always be a creative tension between our spiritual pilgrimage and the world in which it is lived out. If we attempt to undo this difficult tension, we move either into an unworldly spirituality that isolates us from the world or into a worldly spirituality that's, that isolates us from the radical demands of a vital relationship with God. So um, there's a lot there. Um, so help us understand this a little bit more. You, you, you write about living in concentric circles. Mm -hmm. uh, explain that how that helps us live in the tension that Mulholland talks about. Well, let's park for a minute on the idea of creative tension. Yes. Um, because I think creative tension, seeing this in that way, communicates a couple things to us. First of all, that it's possible to eliminate the tension by falling down on one side of the polarity or the other. So yeah. we could decide, well, I don't want to live in the tension, so I'm going to move into this worldly um, kind of spirituality that uh, doesn't require anything from me in terms of my personal relationship with God. It doesn't require solitude, doesn't require self-examination. I'm just going to stay active out there in the world, and I'm not going to respond to the demands of a vibrant relationship with God. I'm just going to let that go. Yeah. And that eliminates a place of tension. Or we can do the, do it the other way, and we can say, okay, I'm going to go into a very privatized 
relationship with God. And I'm just going to attend to my own life with God in solitude. And I'm not going to even be engaged in the needs of the world. That's another way to eliminate tension, but it also eliminates half of what the spiritual life is all yes, about. Yes. So this idea of creative tension means that we have to live in an uncomfortable place. A place where everything's not always clear. And it takes stamina to live in that place. And I think that one thing that happens when we get tired is that we can't live in the place of creative tension. We just don't have the energy to live in the creative tension. And so we give up and we fall into one polarity or the other. I think that Bob is so right to name it this way and to say that there is this creative tension. We feel it. That's why we have churches who are missional. Um, And because that's just one of the polarities, you know, um, but to live in that place of creative tension takes wisdom. It takes a willingness to grapple with things that are not always entirely clear and to live in that place of discomfort where we don't, we can't even be sure all the time that we're getting it exactly right. That's the thing I experience in creative tension is that I'm doing my best, but I can't, I can't promise you that I've got it right on any given day. So I have to live with that. That's uncomfortable. I'm a perfectionist. I would rather know that I'm doing it right. But creative tension does not allow for that. Right. It just means that you're working on it every day. Um, and you need to need to be rested in order to do that. Um, so we need to accept the fact that this is probably always going to be a place of tension until we die. How do we work this out in our lives? Um, and I, I do find that the, a little illustration that I've drawn out is a drawing of concentric circles. It helps me to think about it in these terms that my spiritual life, my life has lived in these concentric circles. So the very inside circle is solitude, that place where I encounter God, where I'm with God for God's own sake. That's the place where I'm cultivating that private relationship. Then the next concentric circle out is the circle of my community, uh, my spiritual community, which includes my family, includes spiritual friends. It includes my church. It includes whatever denomination I might be affiliated with. It includes the, the greater communion of saints. So that circle of community And then beyond that is the circle of the world, the people that do not know uh, God yet, don't don't know Jesus yet, and what's going to be my engagement with that. And that a balanced Christian life is, over time, lived across all those circles. Um, And when I use the word balanced, I don't mean balanced perfectly in any given moment. I mean over time, in the overall scheme of things, we are living in a balanced way among these concentric circles. And on any given day, I can notice... Uh, what's what's full and vibrant and real in my life. So I can say, well, I've got that solitude thing going on. God and I are tight. We're doing good. Um, really involved in my church community, and I feel like I've got strong spiritual relationships. But I'm not, I don't even know any non-Christians. You know, yeah, I'm not yeah. engaged in my, in my world at all. So that's a, a concentric circle that I need to try to cultivate a little bit. Or it could be the other way where we say, I've got the community thing going on. I'm engaged in the needs of the world. But wow, God and I aren't alone together ever. So I need to cultivate that circle. Um, and over time, there's a sense of, you know, moving back and forth rhythm, rhythmically in, in a balanced way um, in these concentric circles of relationship. And how, that's how the spiritual life gets lived. Thanks for delineating that it's over time. It's mm-hmm. not like every day. Yeah, every day is not balanced. All these no, things. every day no, is no. not balanced. Um, in fact, you might have a whole week of solitude. Oh, absolutely. Where... Yep, absolutely. Or a season. Can we even say seasons? Yes. That there's a season when you've poured yourself out. And then there's a season when you feel God saying, you know what, that was enough. And now this is going to be a time when you're not quite as engaged. Yeah. Yes. Or times when obviously the other side of the coin where 
you're, I mean, we were just talking about mm-hmm. it for both of us. This particular week yeah. is, is big. Yeah, we're out there. You're doing your yeah. things. I'm mm-hmm. doing my things. Right. And it's... it's we, and we can't live every week like this. Right. You and I both know no, it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but we're not going to... We're just yeah. talking about like... But I don't feel like we're living in sin right now. You know, like I'm living in <laughs> sin because I've had a big week. Because I know I know what these rhythms and, and this yeah. place of balance is. And, I, and it will be balanced out by what happens next week. And it occurs to me that, again, the examen would, would help us with this. Yes. So at the end mm-hmm. of our day or in the morning, mm-hmm. that, that that's when I typically do the examen, actually. I, I do it in the yeah. morning. Think back. Because you're fresh. At the end of yeah. the day, I just can't even hardly think. Yeah, there's no perspective on it. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> I'm, great. I'm all caught yeah. up uh, in whatever happened. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm too emotionally invested or whatever. Yeah. So that's just a freebie. You right. can do yes. your examen in yes. the morning you and think can. about the, the next yes. day. Um, but, but I think the examen would, 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 would help, mm-hmm. you know, where, where am I in balance over time? Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, so I see a lot of pastors and I think this is this current culture's sin, honestly, mm-hmm. get so ambitious of what they're going to do for God that they lose their own soul mm-hmm. because of the seductiveness of the mission. Yeah. Here's, here's the question, Ruth. Talk to us about how community, how life in community, how life on the road toward Jesus, with Jesus together, can help us out of that trap of, mm-hmm. of, of getting caught in the seductiveness of activism. Hmm, I'm not always sure it's the community that helps. Ah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think the community is what there are aspects of our life in community that actually get us all revved up, depending yep. on what kind of community you're a part of. Yep. So, um, so your larger community may actually be a part of the problem sometimes, just to be quite frank. If, yes. If the community where you're worshiping, if your faith community is overly activistic, it might be that your engagement in that community with no boundaries is actually working against your personal uh, relationship with God. So, so I think we have to look at the life of our overall faith community and see if it's balanced. Yes. And if it's going to guide us into a place of being balanced. Um, I, but I think maybe sometimes our more, our, our more intimate spiritual friends or even the spiritual director can be the part of community that helps us to stay in touch with desire, whether or not we're living our lives uh, congruently with desire and whether or not we are living in rhythms, living in a sense of balanced rhythm across all these relationships that we're engaged in. Um, I think that what we as leaders do need to remember is that mission cannot be, cannot be discerned or sustained without formation. That's the place of balance that I like to bring us back to. And I, Romans 12, 2 is just so clear on it. First of all, you can't discern your mission very well if you're not engaged in a process of, of transformation, which includes your solitude and you know engagement and retreat and things like that. Um, so you can't discern it well. If you're not engaged in a process of transformation and you can't, it can't be sustained for the long haul either. If you're not always returning to that place of rest in God and allowing God to replenish you at that level. And um, so as activistic as we like to be, I think it's important for us to remember that um, formation precedes discernment and mission. And that's how they're all connected. I have a memory, Ruth, actually, when I first met you, I didn't know you, you were leading a retreat and you just did this whole thing on exactly what we just talked about. I mean, this was probably, I mean, this was a lot of years mm-hmm. ago. This is before the Transforming mm-hmm. Center started. And after you got all done, um, the, the leader of the retreat kind of got up and said, well, that, that, that's been interesting, basically. Mm-hmm. But I would rather burn out mm-hmm. 
for God at the end of my life um, than leave something on the table. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I won't forget that. Um, what did I do? You did. I mean, you you did what you do, which mm-hmm. is a life of formation. Mm-hmm. And again, this was before mm-hmm. the Transforming Center started. But well, it was before um, your Transforming Community started. No, it was before the TC. Oh, existed. This was years wow, ago. Wow. Okay. I and mean, I'm, I'm talking about more than 15 years oh, ago. Oh, okay. Obviously. Wow. Okay. So, um, and I'm trying to do the math. It was probably right when. Anyway, um, and so um, there is this Christian leader cliche Mm -hmm. that says even if you burn yourself out it's worth Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. because you're doing someone to go screaming into heaven in a burned out state and that's when i'll rest (laughs) can you talk about though that um dallas willard even says something about this that like like your eternal self Mm -hmm. is going to be a continuation Mm -hmm. of of your present mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, mm-hmm. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> um, do you want to go there for a second? Like, mm-hmm. like, and in, in th- this would be why yeah. your transforming mm-hmm. self matters. Yeah. Not just so that you can do the next activistic mm-hmm. thing for God. Yeah. Well, yeah, that whole idea of I'll rest when I get to heaven. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, I don't think that's what we're talking about. Well, it's crazy about. theology. It, it is crazy. Not to mention the fact that if that is your philosophy, you'll probably be burning out at 45 or 50. That there'll be a limit then to how much you you are able to do and to be on this earth because you haven't paced yourself very well. Um, so I don't think that's God honoring, but that's my that's my perspective. I think one of the things that is really God honoring is for us to to live within the limits of the human beings that God has created us to be rather than always pushing against the limits of the fundamental realities of being a self in God's presence. I I think that one of the things that really glorifies God is for us to be the self that God made us. And that includes our humanity and it it includes our limits. Um, And there's nothing more beautiful than a life that's well lived in God's presence. I don't think it's, I don't think it's glorifying to God at all to be the person who's, uh, you know, running around half toasted all the time, you know. I also think that hitting our limits is the very invitation to be in the presence of God right. half the time. Exactly. You know? And to let God be the creator and yeah. to let God be the one who never sleeps and to let um this is ourselves Sabbath. yes and let ourselves be the created one for a little while, the creature in the presence of our creator. Yeah. yeah. I think God loves that and I think it's good for us. Amen. All right, last question. Last question of the entire mm-hmm. season here. Ruth, uh, I really appreciate that you're not just a theorist, that these ideas mm-hmm. you have been putting into practice day in and day out um, in in the staff that you lead here at the Transforming mm-hmm. Center, but also in the Transforming Communities. Um, so if someone wanted to take a next step, they've listened to this whole mm-hmm. season, they're excited about life and community in a transforming community, where would they go to mm-hmm. take a next step? Well... Um, I mentioned that this book really did emerge out of the 15 years of leading transforming communities. And so it was really just an attempt to write down the things that I've learned along the way in the the context. The book, by the way, is called Life Together in Christ. And to ground it in the biblical story that God led me into um, at the time when I was developing what I was developing. And so the attempt in the book Life Together in Christ is to function as a spiritual director for groups. And so it's written for groups specifically. And so at the end of each chapter, there's a section called On the Road Together. And that is the the section that leads you as spiritual friends or as a small group or as a community 
to actually practice these things together in concrete ways. It's, it's just me taking you by the hand, saying, let's do this together. This is how you do it. So, of course, my hope and prayer coming out of this uh, podcast season would be that um, individuals might take a hold of it and grab another friend or grab their small group and say, hey, let's go another step. Let's take another step in our life together in community and try this. Um, you don't need to be anybody special because it's there. The, the guidance is there for you in the book. The other dream, of course, is that pastors and leaders like you, Steve, who are leading a whole community and a whole congregation, might begin to uphold this as a vision for their church, as a way of being together, that they might cast the vision for becoming a transforming community gathered around the presence of Christ for the purpose of transformation so that we can discern and do the will of God together. That would be our definition of what a transforming church is, and um, that the teachings of the Emmaus Road what we've seen there, that the exercises that maybe the pastor could be preaching and teaching about these things from up front, but then they're putting together groups and providing opportunities for people to actually experience this, because this is not a sermon series. You don't accomplish this through a sermon series. This is a journey that people are going to take together. The sermon functions to cast the vision and to say, hey, that away, that's that's where we're going. But the process itself is how individuals and Uh, spiritual friends and small groups can actually take the journey together. And I think it changes who the whole congregation is. So if if people are journeying this way, they're going to be showing up as their transforming selves as they show up to teach Sunday school. They're going to be showing up that way in the leadership environment. Your decision-making processes will change. The quality of your conversations and interactions will change. Your stability with one another will change. How you discern things together will change because it's kind of a grassroots thing that's coming up from the roots and um that that would be the hope is that it would be a both and individuals would say we want to try this we want to do this and maybe there would be pastors and leaders who'd want to say you know we're ready to take the Emmaus road journey let's let's get on that road beautiful so all of these resources you can find on the show notes you can look up uh, the transforming center uh you can look up about transforming communities you can see Ruth's books, especially uh, Ruth's book, Life Together in Christ, uh, which b- would be a great resource uh, for any leader to bring through their team, to even read through on their own, um, to to get a fundamental idea of the concepts mm-hmm. of, of what we even mean by a transforming community. Uh, so, Ruth, it would be an incomplete way to end the season if we did not end with a prayer. Mm-hmm. So do you have a prayer for us? Yeah, I do. Of course I do. So this is our prayer for going out into the world. So we've been walking the Emmaus Road together. We've encountered Christ on that road. And now we're so excited about what we've experienced that we want to go back out into the world and bring the presence of Christ with us. So let's pray together. As Abraham left his home and the security of all he had known, so we lay down what is past and look to the future. As Mary washed Jesus' feet with oil and hair, so we take into daily life signs of hope and healing. As the disciples returned to Jerusalem to tell what had happened on the road, as John built community and Paul traveled ever on, so we reach beyond ourselves to share the lives of others and touch a wider world. As Esther stepped out in faith for such a time as this, so we take courage to do what God has called us to do. And as Jesus taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there, and we're grateful that you've spent the last 30 minutes with us. Thanks, Steve, for such great questions and for taking that step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a leader who would like to connect your soul with your leadership, please do consider this an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it is animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. If you'd like to learn more, do visit us at transformingcenter.org.